I don't know whether the idea of speaking on the bride and the groom in Revelation was inceptioned into my mind by the weddings that we've had here or if it was something that was already there. Uh, but here we are. And it was, uh, again, and I also don't know when Gary got up and said uh, that the Lord is still on the throne and, and our reading talks about God being enthroned and reigning from heaven and about the us being a bride and imagining this bride um, of Christ coming up the aisle. Uh, Gary and I didn't prepare that either. I don't know whether that was inceptioned by this wedding or if the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today. Actually, I do know that the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today. Uh, Revelation is one of those books that evokes fear for people. Uh, It does have a lot of judgment in it, and it can be and has been used uh, at various times to produce fear in people. And I know for some people there's sort of a hesitance, I'm not going to go near the book of Revelation because it just doesn't make any sense or whatever. Increasingly over time, I've wanted to read more and more in the book of Revelation. And the reason being, it is a book, though it does contain judgment, and the very start of today's passage um, is praise to God for the fact that he has judged this great prostitute. Um, The book of Revelation is actually a book of great hope for the church. It's a book that is meant to draw our gaze, our loving gaze, towards the one who in the book of Revelation is described as having eyes like bowls of fire. The one who is glorious and wrapped in lightning and thunder and rainbows. And this one who is so far above and beyond anything we can imagine and yet puts himself into our story with us as the bride and him as the groom. So I want to make sort of three points this morning from today's passage. The first is that All of us are invited to a wedding. The angel, in verse 9, the angel said to me, that is John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As I said before, we've had two weddings in the building in the last week and a bit. Yesterday, Bryden and Vish were married here, and Vish came walking up this very aisle And Bryden was standing here. And if you know those two people, um, it was a beautiful thing. Um, There were tears of joy and laughter at the celebration of these two people coming together. I love weddings. I love attending them. And I really love the honor and privilege it is as a pastor to officiate at a wedding. To walk with a couple and prepare them to be united as one. And to then have this incredibly special privilege of of being part of of, um, officiating that. As we've had our preaching year, which has kind of been on pause for a couple of months now, but this year one of the major themes that came through 
if you can think back all the way to our series on the gospel and then our walk through the book of Philippians, one of the big themes that came through that, I'll be honest, I didn't anticipate being a major theme, was the future hope that as Christians we have in Jesus. I anticipated this year being primarily about the way we live out that hope. But we ended up, in, in, in the here and now, but we ended up having quite an emphasis at various points on what that actual hope is. What is it that Christians believe and hope for in eternity beyond the grave, beyond this present age? We talked about the new heavens and the new earth and the, the promise that our future hope is not floating on a cloud or playing a harp or anything quite so boring. Our hope is in a new creation that we will be in and will be in perfected bodies and we will participate and we'll do work and have fun and it'll be like this world but even more so. It'll be like everything that's good about the world with nothing of the bad and more and more and more of the good. And one of Scripture uses various images and metaphors to describe that new creation, to describe what's coming. And one of the key images that comes up in Revelation, but other parts of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is the wedding supper of the bride and the lamb. The invitation to Christian hope is an invitation to a wedding party. This leads me to my second point. We, the body of Christ, those of us who have given ourselves to him, are invited to this wedding because it's our wedding. <laughs> The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. And so this is something special when we sit in this room prepared for a, a, a wedding. We imagine, as Gary illustrated just before he prayed, that there will come a day when Christ will be standing where Bryden stood here. And he'll look down the aisle lovingly and his bride will appear and walk forwards towards him. That's who we are. The bride of Christ. Now, I don't know if, if you're male, you may have an, an added difficulty with considering yourself the bride. Um... You may, you may not. And I know that in the past we went through a phase in the church where the songs were, you know, could be kind of Jesus is my boyfriend type thing. And it, it doesn't always fit with the male way of thinking, right? But I've come to deeply value this truth that we and me within it, we the church, are the bride of Christ. It doesn't bother me at all. 
And the reason it doesn't bother me is because I've begun a journey of intimacy with God. Now, romance, and even if you think of the book of Song of Songs, sex, are an image for intimacy. And whether we're male or female, we can use that imagery and receive it as part of the invitation to the intimacy that we're invited to with God. That doesn't have to get weird. <laughs> you don't have to feel awkward as though, well, is this, is this gay? Like, is, is this something that I shouldn't be thinking about? No, this is an invitation to union, to oneness. And so I, I'm excited by the imagery because I've begun the journey. Now, I wonder for those of you who've given your lives to Jesus, has your life with him ever felt as though it, the, the relational closeness comes in sort of fleeting images or in glimpses, in, in moments, and it's not full and complete? Can anyone say yes to that, that, that I don't feel constantly united to God, but I have glimpses of it, I have moments of it. I think everyone can say that. Part of why I'm excited by this imagery of the bride being invited up to the front of the, the temple and the groom welcoming us is that that day, that wedding day, is going to be, and I'm going to use this word, the consummation of our union with Christ. We are going to come forth and our faces will be unveiled and we will see him face to face in all of his beauty and all of his glory. We're going to see him truly for who he is. It's not going to be a fleeting moment. It's not going to be a goosebump or a touch where we just feel it for a minute and then go back to the normality of life. We're going to be united fully and completely with the one who loved us, who called us. And we'll be able to say fully and finally what uh, the Song of Songs says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. We are invited into union with him. Thanks, Andrew. So, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this time of waiting between now when our relationship with God does come in moments and, and it's not always at 100%? What do we do? I want you to actually... Uh, Imagine something with me now, and if you would, would you please all stand? And I want you to turn your eyes towards the back of the auditorium, and I want you to imagine that there is a bride entering. She is wearing her white dress. She's being led by her father. And she is walking up the front towards the bride, uh, towards the groom. 
as she walks towards him, there are many distractions and, and many temptations that might draw her gaze. There are many things in the world that she might be tempted to look at, things that she might be tempted to fixate upon. But her job, her task, is to continually walk towards the front and keep her eyes fixed on Jesus. She might have times, even as she walks towards him, where she's weighed down by the things of her past. There might be things that she thinks of that she's done that she's not happy about. She must keep her eyes fixed on Jesus because he has taken away all guilt, all shame, all sense of inadequacy, and he has robed her in white. Her getting ready for this wedding day is about her fixing her eyes on Jesus. You can sit down again. There's even more, though, to this task of getting ready. And I actually want to read to you from the chapter that was read at Bryden and Vish's wedding yesterday. This is 1 John 4, 7 to 21. John, of course, wrote this letter and was also the one who wrote Revelation. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, ah, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. <clears throat> God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those that confess Jesus as the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, 
and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The John's got an amazing way of sort of repeating himself a lot, kind of ruminating over the same ideas and then bringing a new one in and then bring, weaving it back. Here's my, the last part of my message for us as the bride of Christ. In this time that is so divided and divisive, in a time of uncertainty and fear and anxiety, in a time of pressure, a time of decisions that we'd rather not make, our task as Christians has not changed. I have a friend who said to me a few years ago that he was sure the end was coming soon, right? Because he was looking at what was happening in the world and he said, it's, it's happening within the next couple of years, right? He turned out to be wrong on that. Um, and I said to him, look, I don't know, I don't know, I really don't. But my question for you is, so what? If the world is going to end tomorrow or in five years or in a thousand, what's changed about what we're called to do? The answer is nothing. See, plagues and divisions have come and gone for 2,000 years since Christ came and since he ascended. And what matters is two things, and that's the, the message of the book of Revelation. The Lamb has already overcome. And we, his people, his bride, we are called to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony in him, and that we don't love our own lives even unto death. I'm sort of saying without explicitly saying that I'm talking about this COVID situation and the division that is present within the world and within the church. And I know that as a body, even as Hillcrest Baptist, there is division of opinion. I know there are people who are vaccinated and people who are unvaccinated. I know there are people who are angry about what's happening. I know there are people who reckon we need to just go with what we're being told to do. And I'm not standing here to tell you what you should think on that. I'm standing here to tell you that as Christians, our job, if we wish to become more and more the beautiful bride of Christ who is going to meet with that, that beautiful husband at the front of the church, we need to become love. We need to love whether we agree with each other or whether we don't. We cannot hate Jacinda or the government or the unvaccinated. We must not be a people 
who bow to the spirit of the age which is so divided. We must love because he has loved us first. Whether we are right or wrong, we must love. John says that if we become love, if we become perfected in love, we will have confidence in the day of judgment because perfect love casts out fear. That maybe is the key to why the book of Revelation, for all of the scariness in it, is a hopeful book for us. Because it draws our eyes to the groom. It draws our eyes to the beauty of Christ. And it calls us to follow his lead. And there's going to be challenges in how we do that in the coming days. But it's always been a challenge. And so my prayer for us as a body is that whatever our opinion and however strongly we feel about it, we commit ourselves that we will never become anything other than love to our brother or our sister. Even if we think that the unvaccinated are a danger, we must love them. And we must not treat them as lepers. Even if we think that the people who are vaccinated are sheep and they haven't gotten, you know, they don't know what's really going on or they don't understand, we must love them. Most of us probably don't have that extreme of a view, even if we've chosen one way or the other. Most of us probably are somewhere kind of in the middle on either side and we're just trying to work it out. I've cast it in quite extreme terms, but it feels extreme sometimes, doesn't it? Wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, we must love one another. Let's pray. Father, I need your Holy Spirit to come upon me now, and I need your Holy Spirit to come among us as a people We are your bride. We are the body of Christ. We are your people. And it is so hard at times to know how we should live or what we should say. There are differences of opinion on things. There are divisions, and it does matter. It's not like these are small things. But God, you have given us a clear command. You have given us the clear invitation as we walk our way towards Christ to be love for one another. Help us, God, to lay down anything that is not of you. Help me, God, to lay down my pride. Help me to lay down my arrogance. Help me to lay down any sense of superiority. God, help me to only see in my brother someone that I should love. Jesus, you modeled this for us on the cross. You loved us before we could ever love you, and you loved us even while we killed you. You hung on the cross and you said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And God, I ask in these days that there's so many times where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. So God, would you forgive me that I don't know what I'm doing? But 
would you help me to have the vision to know how to love regardless? Help me to love people with whom I disagree. Help me to love people that I do agree with. Help me to love people that I find it easy to talk to. Help me to find uh, to love people for whom, with whom that is very difficult. God, you have loved every single person in this room with an infinite and an abundant love. And you have drawn every single person in this room to the, the love of Christ. You have invited them to a wedding. God, help us to be a people who are getting ready for that final day by becoming love to and for one another. Thank you, God, that you have empowered us for this. Thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit, that you have given us the strength and the power and the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Help us, God, to simply know it and to wish to be it. I pray all of this in the precious and beautiful, wonderful, powerful, holy name of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen.